As we continue to worship through our giving, grab your Bibles for the reading of our text this morning. will be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. If you don't have a Bible with you or own one, there's a paperback Bible in the pew back in front of you. If you don't own one, take it home. That's our gift to you this morning. Fall in love with Christ and the Scriptures. I want you to do that. When you get to Matthew chapter 6, look up at me and say, Jesus is better. All right. Upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you respond with? Verse 1 of chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret." Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. We're glad that you're here today. And uh, hopefully you have your Bible in front of you. Um, We're continuing in our sermon series entitled Jesus Uncensored. Um, And we're looking at Jesus' words through the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the interesting things about the Sermon on the Mount is um, scholars, philosophers, people who love ancient literature, um, everyone agrees, Christians and even non-Christians alike, um, that this is one of the most profound pieces of literature that we have. Um, From a rhetorical and speech-giving standpoint, people are fascinated at Jesus' words. But also when you look at the history of Christianity, You see the impact that the words of Jesus Christ have had. And um, for me, I didn't come to know Jesus till later on in college. And one of the things that was really important for me that when I came to know Christ was um, looking at the historical credibility of Christianity and knowing that this wasn't just some fairy tale, but that this man, Jesus Christ, really lived and really walked the earth um, over in the Middle East. And what's interesting is other religions mention him uh, from, you know, Islam to Buddha to nobody can really get away from Jesus. Like that's historically accurate. And then to see the impact that these so-called Christians and followers of Christ have had literally on the world for 2000 years is something that's undeniable as well. And one of the things that's interesting is Christianity birthed under the Roman Empire. And I don't think that's by accident or happenstance, but in God's sovereignty, you have this grassroots religion getting birthed under one of the largest empires to ever walk the face of the earth. So in light of that, when you study Roman history, you also can't do away with Jesus Christ as well. And one of the earliest historical accounts of the followers of Jesus and the effect on the Sermon on the Mount is known as the Apology of Arsidius. And it was recorded in 125 AD. Now, if you know ancient literature or time or anything like that, that is very credible. Um, We have parchments and we have this letter. And Arsidius was known as Arsidius the Just. And he was a man who lived in ancient um, Greece. And he was a philosopher, but he came to know Jesus Christ. And as he was studying and understanding Christianity, he was still under the Roman Empire. And he was under the Roman Empire of this man, Emperor Hadrian, who was the 14th emperor in Rome. 
Um, this guy was a pretty rough guy. He built a lot of the Roman empires and a lot of the statues, but he also slaughtered 58,000 Jews in about a week's time. And so one of the things that Rome had trouble with with Christianity was is they didn't know what to do with him because Christians would not bow the knee to Caesar. They would not declare Caesar to be the son of God, and they did not worship in the pagan practices. So Rome did not like that. But one of the things that Rome couldn't do away with is the way that these Christians took care of widows, orphans, the poor, and the marginalized. Literally, Rome liked having the Christians around because then they didn't have to take care of these people. And so when Arsidius is writing to Emperor Hadrian, he's telling him about the effects of this Jesus. And here's what he says. But Christians show kindness to those near them. And whenever they are judges, they judge uprightly. They do good to their enemies. And if one of them has a bondsman or bondswoman or children through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they have done so, they call them brethren or sisters without distinction. They do not worship strange gods, and they go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them, and they love each other. And he who has gives to the one who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their midst and their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother or sister. And if they hear that one of their number is in prison or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his or her needs. And if there is any among them that is poor and needy, and they have no spare food, these people fast for two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. Such, O king, is their manner of life. And verily, this is a new kind of people, and there is something divine in their midst. That's good, yo. You know what I mean? And if there could ever be a description of what's taking place for the people of Westside, I pray that that would be true. I pray that that would still be the description of modern Christians today. See, one of the things that you can't do away with with the effects of the Sermon on the Mount is the way that these people called Christians lived their life. It was literally in a society and in a socioeconomic climate a new people, a new breed. And what we would say is it is literally the kingdom of God breaking in through time, space, and history. And over these next couple of weeks, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to show us three areas in our life that we practice this new life through giving, through praying, and then through fasting. If you look in verse one in chapter six, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness. 
Now, we've learned a new word, righteousness, right? It's a big word, but so is pumpkin spice latte. You know what I'm saying, right? We learn new words all the time, okay? And righteousness is our right standing with God and literally how we live our life. And what I find interesting is Jesus says that there are three primary rhythms that we can see in a disciple of mine's life. But turn the page, and at the end of chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus says these, these words, You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be mature. Now, what's the first word in chapter 6? Beware. Oh, I love Jesus. Because here's what he's saying. Be perfect. Be careful. Be perfect. Be careful. Why? Why, Jesus? We're going to have the same big idea over the next three weeks, and I will beat you over the head with this. And on the third week, I'm going to say, what's the big idea today? And if you don't answer back, I'm going to preach for an hour and a half and make you late to, you know, Casa Grande or wherever you're going to go eat lunch, okay? And it's this. In my relationship with Jesus, what I do is not as important as why I do it. Interesting, right? What do you mean, Jason? Praying, giving, what do you mean? These things are very important. This is what we teach church folk to do. Yeah, 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 I understand that. And Jesus is going to teach us how to do it. But primarily, Jesus is always concerned about this, motivation. Jesus is less concerned about your prayer life primarily and first and foremost concerned as to why you even pray. Jesus is less concerned about your giving and is primarily concerned as to why you give. And what's interesting is, is, is when I meet people who attend here at Westside or if we have a baptism service and you get to hear someone's testimony, oftentimes it's very similar. You know, I grew up in church and it was kind of this thing and maybe I made a decision when I was young and it was sort of my parents' thing and I went through life kind of going through these, you know, just rhythms and all of this type of stuff, but these things were never real and I never really understood these things and then I really understood the gospel. And really what they're saying is what I was doing wasn't that important. But why I was doing it was incredibly important. And oftentimes when I find out about these people as as they're going through this rhythm and the so-called quote church thing is this. They are exhausted. Exhausted. Oh, giving, praying, I'm so sorry. Oh, man. And see, that's why Jesus is continually and constantly wanting to get to the heart of the issue. See, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ and compartmentalize your life. You cannot act one way this morning and then through the week act a different way and expect to understand and feel the love and the grace as being present with Jesus Christ. And primarily today, he speaks to us in regards to giving. What I do is not as important as why I do it. So I want to look at this text and really allow Jesus to find this rhythm for us and let Jesus simply be uncensored. And the first area in way in which we give is we give consistently. We give consistently. And it's there in the text twice. Look in verse 2. Thus... When you give. Verse 3. But when you give to the needy. 
Very interesting, right? Jesus didn't say, if you give, right? If you happen to come into church late and then sit down and go, oh, man, i got to realize offerings coming by. Do all that. What Jesus is saying is being a follower of mine, this is a rhythm in your life. You understand that giving consistently is a part and in a way in which this works. Um, Many of you know, and I've told the story, our oldest son, Roman, is very much so into fishing right now. And um, playing, he's just 100% boy, playing outside, doing all that stuff. (laughs) And you as a parent, you're like, quit playing video games and the iPad. And then they're like, well, okay, mom and dad, then go outside and play with me. And you're like, here's your iPad. You know, (laughs) I mean, like, it's kind of like a little bit of struggle for you too. So Roman loves fishing and he does all this. And um, Roman's grandmother, we're we're blessed. She's got this great property and it's uh, off M Highway. And it's just got this little pond and it's really cool. Every time I pick him up from school, he's like, we're going to go fishing. We're going to go fishing. And the other day I realized Whenever we were driving down the property, we sort of drive alongside the road and we drive on a field. And Roman's favorite part is rolling down the windows, turning up the music loud and just like driving in a field in a truck, right? Like, you know, you just want to get and just yell real loud, America, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just a lot of fun, you know? And I realized the other day when we pulled out onto the field, I looked and there was a path like around the tree and, and, and going down to the shore there on the pond and all of that stuff. And there, there shouldn't be a path there, but we just consistently go the same way every time that we go. And when we do that, we've, we've worn a path in there. And I think what Jesus is saying, if I could put it in a sentence, it's this. As your relationship with Jesus grows, so does your giving. Those things don't change. The, like, your relationship with Jesus doesn't grow, and then your giving stays the same. Like, many of you have been walking for Jesus, walking with Jesus for a very long time. And your giving should not be the same as when it was when you were first come to know Christ. And I need to be a bit pastoral here. Here at Westside, there is just incredible things that are taking place just nuts. I get calls from other pastors, and they're like, what's going on? What's happening? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just trying not to mess it up. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just along for the ride in this thing. But we are growing in numbers through our connection class and our membership process that we run in the fall and in the spring. Our last connection class, we put 40 people through who've joined Westside. The class before that was upwards of 50 people. And the class before that was upwards of 70 people who were coming through to make Westside their home church. But at the end of the day, when I see a family walk in through those doors or a family join Westside, what I think is as soon as they walk in, if they have kids, they're going to be met by a greeter. They need to be served. They're going to drop their kids off at the nursery or kids' side at Westside. They're going to walk into the sanctuary. They're going to um, be, uh, have a distraction-free worship zone. Uh, if they have kids that are in the youth group, then they need to be involved in a community group, which requires community group training and leader training and all of those areas. See, primarily as we grow at Westside, so should our giving as well. And I know what you're saying. Great, we picked a real good Sunday to come. The preacher's talking about money and giving. Listen, listen, keep your money and the doors right there. Love you. This just isn't your home church, okay? Because Jesus is teaching out of all of the gospels, Jesus spoke on money 25% 
out of all of his teaching. So if I were to preach like Jesus, that means that I would preach a sermon on money once a month. No, pastor, please don't preach like Jesus. Oh my goodness. You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, Westside will not be built on begrudging checks and all of those things. Here's what I'm simply saying. We, do you know how conservative of a budget we are? This is 60-year-old carpet. This is, this is the original carpet, right? Do you know how much money we gave away last year? We gave away $30,000 last year as a church, right? We pay for married couples to go off and to get intensive marriage counseling. We pay for people's mortgages and hospital bills and all of those things. So don't make the argument with me in light of, oh, that preacher wants my money. No, I don't. You can keep your Scrooge money in the back of your pocket and you'll take none with you when you die, okay? All simply Jesus is saying is, as a disciple, what you do is not as important as why you do it, And my disciples just give consistently. It's a part of a rhythm in their life. Jesus' ministry was funded, and it was funded very well. And what we understand is that this is a rhythm in our life. So let me ask you this. Is when it comes to giving, is the church a part of your budget just as much as your light bill is? Or is it an afterthought? Because if it's an afterthought, then Jesus is challenging you here today. But when you give. We don't just give consistently, but the next thing is this. We give freely. Freely. No strings attached. Not just the NSYNC album, but look. Verse 2. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. (laughs) I love Jesus, right? Just straight up calling folk hypocrites, right? A lot of people think like Jesus is this white dude, blonde hair, blue eyes, like lost member of the Beach Boys, right? Peace and love, man, peace and love. Like I love the New Testament. Paul names people by name in the church. He's like, hey, yo, Epaphroditus, don't hang out with Epaphroditus because Epaphroditus is living in sin. Let us pray, right? You want to be a New Testament church? Start calling some folk out. You know what I mean? But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't be like the hypocrites. And, 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 and this thing with the trumpet, he could either be figurative or, or, or literal in this. Because when you gave there in the temple, there were these big sort of brass sort of jars. And, and they were thin at the neck, and, and, and then they got bigger, and, and your money would make a noise whenever you would put in it. And sometimes at the Passover, um, they would announce a trumpet if someone bought a, or brought a beautiful lamb or a dove, and it would sort of be like, dun-dun-dun-dun, everyone would know, wow, this is an incredible moment right here in this. And what Jesus is saying is, don't give like that. And the word hypocrites, if you've ever studied the Bible, you know this comes from Greek literature. It comes from actors in Greek plays. They didn't wear makeup and stuff back then. And so listen, the actors would wear and play multiple roles, and how they would change their character is by the mask that they wore. Ooh, this is good, right? Everybody's going to get offended today. I'm so excited for this part of the sermon, right? And Jesus said, sometimes when people give, they're wearing a mask when they do so. And I think there's two primary masks of the hypocrite when they give. The first one is status. And Jesus says that. 
He says that the trumpet should sound so that they should be praised by others. And then here, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What's their reward? Being praised by others. Wow. They added another zero to the check when they put it in the offering plate. You know how much they gave to the building fund? Jesus is like, that's not a big deal. That's not primarily why we give. And listen, I've been in this church game for a while. I've seen people literally look at me. I've seen men try to buy a church and set it up the way in which they want by the influence of money. And listen, we'll thump you on the head and bounce you out of here quick when you come up in here with that stuff because that's just not gonna fly. I've seen men give to justify secret sin in their life, right? Or gotta add an extra zero this Sunday because Saturday night was a little crazy, Right? Try to cover up the guilt in light of that. Listen, you can give as much money as you want, but blood is thicker than money, and blood's the only thing that'll cover your sin, and that's the blood of Christ. I remember being in high school. I was a senior in high school in Columbia, Missouri, and um, it was our senior prom. It was like a huge, huge deal. Not as big of a deal as it is here in Popper Bluff. The Grand March, hello. I've never even seen anything like that, right? That's a big deal, man. You know that's not normal and in other places, right? To, like, to parade around, huh? you know, get your name announced and all that stuff. I, I know. But so I was super excited. So here's what me and all my friends did. Um, we all got matching tuxedos, and they were all white. I got an all-white tuxedo with a pink tie. Listen, pink vest. Uh Oh, that ain't it, all right? My shoes were white Air Force Ones with the strap with a pink Nike swoosh on the side, son. I look like Jim Carrey off Dumb and Dumber. I mean, I just... I was, we were going to roll in senior prom, just bum, bum, just, I mean, just hitting them with it. And my Aunt Willene, love my Aunt Willene, God rest her soul. She was the fun, like wealthy aunt. She was awesome. She drove a Mercedes Benz, Mercedes Benz. I begged and begged and begged and begged Willene, please let me take the Mercedes Benz to my senior prom. She finally said yes. I don't know why she said yes, but she finally said yes. And so I went and got that sucker detailed, and I had it all planned out. I was going to be in all white, just with my Air Force Ones, that strap just hanging. I was going to have my sunglasses on. I was going to pull up. There was, a, there was a park, and it had sort of a pond, and that's where everybody went to take pictures. The whole school was going to be there. I was going to have my windows down, bumping ushers. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I was just going to roll up to this spot, and everybody was going to be like, look, oh, man. And so I'm there. I pull up. The wind's blowing. I have so much gel in my hair. My hair wouldn't move in a tornado. I mean, I'm just like ready for this pull up window, play usher. Yeah, yeah. Right on the part when Ludacris is rapping. I'm like, oh, this is it. And I pull up and there's nobody there. And like text messaging, it cost 10 cents back then to send a text message. So like I called my buddy and was like, what's up? He's like, bro, you're an hour and a half early, man. There was nobody. I was so like just ready to do this thing. There was only like a little old lady walking her dog and she was like, oh no, hoodlums are in the park. You know, like, why is he here? You know what I mean? Listen, nothing wrong with the Mercedes Benz. Nothing wrong with the fancy tuxedo. Everything wrong with, whoo, they don't want to see me when I pull up to this joint. Pride, status, 
Jesus doesn't care what your last name is or what your 401k is or that you started your business from the ground up and you worked harder than everybody else and then you got this, so then when you give your money, you're demanded and you're owed this. That's hypocrisy. That's a mask that a hypocrite wears when he gives. The second one is this, control. People give in order to control. I've seen this all the time in church. People actually want to volunteer and sign up and be a part of something, but they could give a rip about serving because they want to control the outcome and they have their own personal agenda and they want to sit on the board and they want to sit on the committee and they want to start this ministry and they want to do all of this. The first time that I meet somebody and they come to Westside and they say, oh, the Lord's laid on our heart. We want to start a brand new ministry. I'm like, well, the Lord ain't laid that on my heart, yo. I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? It's control. It's so I can get in and get my agenda and control this mindset. Listen, hold on, time out. Do you think God needs your money? Oh, my Lord, you thought he did. (laughs) You thought that when creation was happening and God was speaking nothing into existence, that he needed your money in order for that to happen. God needs nothing from you. But at the end of the day, it's a blessing that God gets to work through you. We give freely with no strings attached in light of this. You see, sin is so subtle that our selfless acts are motivated by our own selfishness. Just think about that. We use selfless acts of giving, of serving, of loving, because in the end, we are hoping that we will get a response that will fill our own selfishness. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says these words, ultimately, our only reason for pleasing men around us is that we may please ourselves Our real desire is not to please others as such. We want to please them because we know that if we do, they will think better of us. In other words, we are pleasing ourselves and are merely concerned about self-gratification. That is where the insidious character of sin is seen. What appears to be selfless may just be a subtle form of selfishness. According to our Lord, it comes to this. Man by nature desires the praise of man. And what he is really concerned about is his good opinion of himself. This is the last analysis, and it always comes to this. We are either pleasing ourselves or we are pleasing God. And it is a very solemnizing thought. But the moment we begin to analyze ourselves and see the motives of our conduct, we shall agree that our words, Lord, our, our, our Lord's words are true. My dear friend, uh, Dr. Ed Newton, an evangelist, says, Every day there's only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Every day. Why? Why do you give? Or how about this? Why do you not give? I've seen people do that. Well, I'm just not giving to that because nobody asked my opinion for this. Right? You better be careful, bro. That's blood money. Right? I mean, everybody's always like, let's be a New Testament church, Jason, New Testament, all right. Yeah, New Testament church in the book of Acts when God killed two people on Sunday morning for stealing from the offering. No, 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 not the New Testament church. That'd be crazy, right? See, what, what we do, listen to me, 
what we do is not as important as why we do it. We give consistently. We give freely. But the last thing is this. We give worshipfully. This is the motivation behind this. You see what Jesus says? Verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Verse 4. So that... There's like, follow it logically, lean on the so that. There's the motivation. Your giving may be in secret. Now, here's what Jesus is not saying. Don't keep a budget. Don't do any of those things. Read the book of Proverbs. Read Jesus' ministry and a Dave Ramsey book while you're at it, okay? That's not what Jesus is saying. The whole don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, Jesus is speaking to those who give. The way that you would have walked into the temple, you would have walked in facing, and the, and the Holy of Holies would have been there, and the jars would have been here, and you would have put your money in. And what he's saying, protect against your own self. And don't keep records of your giving. So in your prayer time, you tell God, God, why haven't you done this in my life? Or Jesus, why is this going on? Because in 1998, I gave this much to the building fund, and I haven't seen anything come through this. Jesus is saying, that's not worshipful giving. He's saying, but when you give in secret, and here it is, ready for the phrase, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 1, reward from your father. Listen, don't miss this. Our text is bracketed by the phrase, your father. That's where Jesus is getting all of the motivation from. And in the original language, most of the time, the word you or your is plural. So when you read like the book of Ephesians, the word you is plural. And in Southeast Missouri, we call that y'all. You know what I'm saying? So you can read the Bible and go, y'all, you know, right here, it's not plural. It's singular. And Jesus drives home the point, your father, your God. Listen, look up here. I know what you're doing. Not their God. Because in Christianity, we always judge our walk by other people's walk. Oh, my, doesn't look like this. And Jesus never moves and does this and does all. That's the greatest way to entrap yourself with your relationship with Jesus. But Jesus is pressing in and he's saying, your father. See, listen, worshipful giving is motivated by the personal relationship with the father. And there's two primary like errors that have happened in the church that have crept in when it you know, comes to money and all of this stuff. There's two errors, there's two ditches on the side of the road. One is prosperity and the other is poverty. A prosperity gospel and a poverty gospel. And anytime you add any type of word in front of the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. A reformed gospel, a charismatic gospel, a concerned gospel. None of that is the gospel. The gospel is simply the gospel. It is good news. So there's a lie that's crept in from the church from the gates of hell. That if you give your money, then God will give you a Porsche, a Lexus, and you'll never get cancer. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And turn off the TV preachers who look like their wife has lost a battle in a paintball gun war. I mean, my goodness gracious. Big buns and the whole deal, and they're weeping when their diamond cufflinks are shining and hit me in the eye. I can't even see their tears. That ain't promised nowhere in the Bible. Listen, the gift and the goal of the gospel is you get God. 
That's the whole point of the gospel. It's not health. It's not wellness. It's not answer to prayer. The gift of the gospel is that you get Christ. And you get everything that was Christ. And as Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, you have died and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. So that everything that is Jesus's is now is mine. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. That's the point. And listen to me. Would heaven still be heaven to you if Jesus wasn't there? I love your granddaddy, and I love your grandmama, and I love your mama. But listen, I ain't going to talk to them in heaven because I'm going to be spending all my time with Christ. I know I love my babies. I want my babies. I pray every night that my babies will be with me in heaven. But you know what? I don't think I'll grieve a moment because I will behold the God who spoke the universe into existence. And if your heart does not sing at that, is Christ precious to you? And then the other one's poverty. That Christians shouldn't have anything nice and we should just eat ramen noodles or ramen. I don't know what the great debate is over that word, okay? And that preachers and churches and nobody can spend money and oh, all of that. That is not true. Jesus' money was funded by one of the Roman emperor's wives. She was just making it rain every time Jesus did a miracle. She was like, this is incredible. The point is an act of worship worshipful giving. And when we give, God knows. One of the things I love about Sunday morning, and it'll probably happen today, is when my kids come out of Kidside at Westside. We have one of the best children's programs here at Kidside at Westside. If your kid isn't in it, sorry for you, but they need to be inside that, okay? You need to serve. It is absolutely incredible, right? Because we're teaching them about Christ and the gospel, Right? It's not just coloring books. It's Jesus died, he lived, and he is risen again. That's what we teach your little babies. And we're praying that your little babies, would, would God would remove the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. But one of the things I love on Sunday mornings is my kids come just shooting up to me and go, Daddy, Daddy, look what I made you today. Look what I made you. And they give it to me. And God forbid that it has glitter on it because then it's just going to be like in my car and in my clothes. Glitter's like sin. It's like every, it's like tainted. It's like everywhere, man. But like the whole time they were making it like, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? His parents, they come home from school and it, that drawing, you're like, is that a bloody massacre? I don't even know what that is. No, it's our family. And you're like, oh, oh okay, great, you know. But what do you do as a mom and dad? Refrigerator, baby, just slap that mug right on there. Listen, I don't know. I don't know if this is cheesy, but whatever. I don't think God has a refrigerator in heaven. But I tell you what, I think every time we give and we just simply say, Daddy, look what I got. Look what I got for you. Dad, thank you. Look what I got for you. That's all I'm asking you today. I think that's what Jesus is teaching because he says when you give to the needy, who's the needy? Oh, no, 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 no. It's not those people. It's you. Because you were blind, you were naked, and you were an enemy of God. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his woman, his his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those that were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And now that we are adopted, we are heirs. And now that we are heirs, he has sent his spirit into our hearts that we may cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. That's the good news. And the Apostle Paul says at the end of the book of Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, there it is, the pressing in, making it personal, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Do you realize, stop complaining about what you don't have and quit nagging. If I hear another Christian that nags, I'm going to lay my hands on them in the name of Jesus, okay? Because what do you lack? What do you lack if you have Christ? You have everything. You've been given everything in Christ. So when you sit down with that checkbook and you look at that bank account, listen, none of it's yours anyway. None of it's yours anyway. And I want to end with this as the band comes up and leads us in a time of response. I want this to be the question that lingers in your heart. Because I know you logistical, practical people are like, well, how much and this and that and all that. Listen, listen, listen. What if when you budgeted and you sat down, instead of budgeting with a calculator, you budgeted with a cross? What would your life look like? What would Popper Bluff look like? What would your family look like? Because one of the things when I see and trace back through the historicity of Christianity is orphanages and hospitals and taking care of the widows and the state not knowing what to do with this new people where there's something divine in their midst because they are taking care of the marginalized and loving the people that no one wants to love. And let this always ring true. You are in this chapel. Your babies are in a room that people 40 years ago gave money to build because they knew this. It's not what we do that's important. It's why we do it. And why do we do it? Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the gates of hell will not prevail against Jesus Christ's church. Is this a rhythm in your life? Is this something that's normal for you? Because as our relationship with Jesus grows, so does our giving. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And God, as we approach the table, it is a banquet and it is a feast. And everything that we see here is ours in Christ. Oh God, please stamp eternity into our hearts. That retirement and 401ks and the stinginess of what we don't have and the complaining about this and that would pale in comparison for the ages and the millenniums and the thousands of years that we will declare and behold in the face of Christ the beauty of God. Stamp that onto our hearts and release our grip today. Because what we do is not important. It's why we do it. And may grace be our motivation today. We pray this in the mighty and in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand where you're at and come forward and partake?